Thank you so much. Do take your seats. I hope you're doing all right. Does it show that I'm quite middle-aged now, that I'm actually very excited about my trolley token? Does that, that feels that way. And I'm definitely going to be in the overflow room next week. So that's good news. Um, so we are 25 years old. Scarcely believe it, but we are 25 years old as a church here this morning. And uh, as you can tell from the Pecha Kucha that we had earlier on, which was brilliant, by the way, um, we've been trawling through old photographs, which has some upsides, but also some downsides, because uh, if you trawl through old photographs, you'll come across photographs like this. Um, this is me 25 years ago. And I wonder if you could help me out. I can't decide which is worse. Is it my jumper or... Simon's goatee. I can't, I'm torn. I can't quite decide which is worse. So I thought we should take it to a vote. All those who think my jumper is worse, raise a hand in the air. That Simon definitely does. All those who believe that Simon's goatee. Oh, quite a lot, quite a lot. <laughs> to be fair, I should probably also mention that you can't quite make it out in the back, background there, but I'm actually sporting a rather nice mullet on the go. I'd watched a lot of Patrick Swayze movies, um, and so that was that. Um, but uh, the other thing that I, I became aware of is my daughter said to me this week, she said, Dad, you look like a bus seat cover, which I thought, <laughs> and do you know what? She's right, isn't she? She's right. I do. I do. So as we've, as we've already established, there's shame in our past, and uh, we'll get some prayer for that later on. Uh, but there's also much to celebrate. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to look back at what God has done uh, over the past 25 years. Now, obviously, we can't cover everything. Um, but if you like, I just want to pull out a few things that are referenced, many of them in the Petra Kutcher that we saw earlier on. And in doing so, in looking back, we're also, as it were, getting courage and faith for the future at the same time. And of course, in the room today, I'm aware that we'll have a whole mix of people who have joined us at different stages in the journey. So I thought it might be just really interesting to see at what point different people have joined us. So I'm going to get you to stand up, if it's okay, at different stages of the journey. So let's start with the newbies. So if you've joined us in the past two years, within the past two years, would you be kind enough to stand to your feet? And we're all going to cheer you and celebrate that you're here with us. That's just fabulous. That's great. Thank you so much. Brilliant. So good to have you with us. The excitement's got to the lights as well. They've flown. So, so, so good to have you with us. Well, let's, let's see who else has joined us um, between two and seven years. So those have joined in the past two to seven years. Do you want to just stand to your feet? We want to celebrate you. Wow. That's great. So since we've been in the building, you guys have been here with us. That's brilliant. So good to have you amongst us. Moving on a little bit, though, what about the, if you joined us before we had the building? So if it was between 7 and 15 years ago that you first joined the church. Do you want to stand to your feet? Let's see how many of you there are out there. Some of you were born in that time. <laughs> Fabulous. So good to have you amongst us. Okay, old timers now, like myself. If you've been around 15 years or more, would you stand to your feet? If you're still able. Uh, brilliant. Right. Great. So good, guys. You guys have been around, seen a lot. What wants to do? Stay standing if you would. Wave one hand in the air if you've been around more than 20 years. Look at that. Pretty much most of you. Wave both hands if it's 25 years, if you were here right at the start. Let's thank these guys for their faithfulness. Thank you so much. 
So good, so good. But the truth is, of course, it doesn't matter when you joined us. We're just glad that you're here. And God is building a family in this place, isn't he? And uh, what I want to do is I want to look back and celebrate. And it's actually a very biblical thing to do. Even the communion we've just taken is about us remembering. It's about looking back at what Jesus has done for us. And in the same way, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel are often instructed to do things in order to remember. And uh, they, they were many times asked to build memorial stones of what God has done. And one key time comes in Joshua chapter 4, where the people are just entering the promised land. And in an incredible miracle, the rivers of the River Jordan, they part so that the people of Israel can walk through on dry ground. And God gives this instruction to the people. He says, on your way through, I want each one of the 12 tribes to pick up a boulder, a large stone from the bed of the now dry river, carry it through to the other side, and then erect a memorial to what I have done amongst you. And it says this in Joshua 4. Joshua says this to the people. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the River Jordan stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Do you get the principle of what God's doing there? He's saying to them, yesterday's victories are there to give you faith for tomorrow's exploits. And it's to remind throughout the generations of what God has done. Because if he's done it once, then he can do it again. And we can expect him for even more in the future. So this isn't just some sort of nostalgia fest going on here this morning. It's an opportunity to remind ourselves of how incredibly faithful God has been to us. And as we do, for faith to rise in our hearts of what he might want to do in the years ahead. So as we look back, I'm just going to pull out a few of these things. Now, we, we did toy um, with the idea of, of building a memorial on the stage here with some bo big boulders. But I reckon by about boulder 17, I and the memorial will have collapsed into the stage. So we've gone a little bit more health and safety. And we, we've gone instead for bricks with balloons tied to them. All right, that's the best that we could do under the circumstances. So these kind of represent like a timeline, if you like, from 25 years ago right the way through to today. And there isn't time, obviously, to tell of everything that God's done. But I do just want to pick out a few of the boulders, if you like, from the riverbed of God's faithfulness to us. And the first boulder actually was put in place before the church started. As you saw referenced in the Petra Kutcher there, it was three years before the church started that we actually began a work amongst the poor in 1989. And I look back, actually, and I see in that something of God's priorities for us as a church. That even before we got ourselves all sorted out, that we would have a heart and a care for the poor around us. And so many of those that were in the initial church plant had actually sort of earned their stripes, as it were, through working amongst the disadvantaged. I wouldn't pretend that it's always been easy. There have been some real ups and downs along the way. But just as Peter encouraged Paul, we must always remember the poor, even in the easy times and the difficult times. There have been challenges. I remember, for instance, one time we were meeting in the school hall that you saw in the, the photo there. And um, the way we set the room up was that we had a big wall of windows. And the preacher would stand in front of those windows and the people would have chairs laid out as they are now um, with the daylight coming through there. But we had a bit of an altercation out in the foyer and uh, the police had to be called. And uh, they turned up and one of the guys involved with it decided that he would make a run for it. Uh, so he dashed out onto the green area that was by these windows. So the preacher stood there blissfully unaware that an escapee was making his way across the grass, hotly pursued by two of Bedford's finest police officers. 
who then tackled him to the ground. Meanwhile, the preacher continues whilst the congregation are treated to a live version of police camera action. He was talking about fighting the good fight of the faith whilst there's a massive scrap going on behind him. So it wasn't always straightforward or easy. But God wanted to build a church that would demonstrate a radical love for the disadvantaged. Fast forward to today, and we now have 13 houses, the most recent of which opened in Bedford to care for a refugee family. And number 14 opens this January coming. In any average year, we're supporting over 650 needy people. And I believe it's significant that in our 25th year, for the first time ever, we get the opportunity to buy the night shelter. There's something about the heart of God in all of that. Yeah, yay God. So that's got to be the first milestone, the first rock, if you like, that we're pulling up from the riverbed. But rock number two would be this. It would be the rock of team. Uh, So the church itself began in 1992, way back there. And um, I can't believe this was the best photo we could find. (laughs) And um, this is Simon and I doing our rendition of I'm a Little Teapot. Um, Anyway, so the church itself began in 92. And for the first 10 years, we were led by two very capable senior leaders. Uh, They were dynamic, gifted, and charismatic. I was also asked onto that team, and there was a team of three of us. So I joined the church back in 1998 in terms of being on staff to make up a leadership of three. I had to be persuaded over a period of time because I never actually wanted to work for church. I'd got the impression that it meant long hours, lots of responsibility, and loads of stress. Turns out I was right. So after, after the first 10 years or so, we have these two charismatic, dynamic leaders Each individually feel called to church plant, one to Birmingham and the other to Leeds. And then I was left as last man standing, the guy who never wanted to work for the church in the first place anyway. Fortunately, in the provision of God, Simon Holly had come onto the scene by that stage. And together, the two of us led the church jointly, quickly followed by the amazing Royden Lovely. And to be honest with you, in those early days, it wasn't terribly dynamic. Uh, It wasn't terribly special. We most of the time didn't have a clue what we were doing. We were making it up as we went along. Uh, There were lots of mistakes that we made, and perhaps now's the opportunity to apologize for some of those. I I would like to apologize to anybody who came along to the evangelistic line dancing event that I arranged. (laughs) I I don't know what I was thinking. So glad we got Steve now. Um, Equally too, I'd like to apologize for the Hollywood movie Sundays that we ran, where we attempted to draw out good biblical moral lessons from Hollywood movies quite how uplifting you found my preach from The Incredibles, I'm not quite sure. It was difficult to find some, some, some character there. Well, the only consolation that I think it was mildly less heretical than Simon's preach from the Gospel of Spider-Man 2. Um, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility, saith the Lord. Um, so, so we made a lot of mistakes and most of the time we were just trying to keep the wheels on the bus. Uh, so we were setting up classrooms for early in the mornings for the King's kids. We were trying to cover night shelter shifts when they were short. And we alternated preaches, and we were just fumbling our way along. But actually, looking back, I wonder if it was really a very healthy time for the church. Because we learned some important things in that time. I think we probably started to demonstrate team and collaboration in a way that we never had before. We learned that you don't have to be a confident, dynamic, all-sorted individual to make a difference. You just have to be able to work with other people. Because the power is in the unity, 
not your individual gift. What does Psalm 133 say? It says, where brothers dwell in unity, there the Lord commands a blessing. And if we can dwell in unity, well, then there's a spiritual synergy that comes over us and pretty much anything is possible. The power is in the unity, not your individual gift. We now live to exist in community, interdependent upon one another. You know, I've got on my desk um, this picture that someone beautifully gave me. It's an African proverb, and it says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we want to go far together. No one person here has everything that we need. But together, God has invested so much in us. And that's how we've tried to be ever since. So if there's a task that needs doing, we'll form a team around it. Because we want to find the solutions together. Everything from going on overseas trips to running the building, it has a team around it. God himself dwells in community, and he invites us to do the same. So that's the second boulder I'd pick up from the river. The third one would be this. It would be the revelation of the Father's heart. Phil referenced it so well earlier on. Fast forward to 2006, so we're over this side of, the, of our balloons now, and God has been speaking to us, and we're desperate to see more happening. We're hungry for more breakthrough and breakout of the Spirit amongst us, but more particularly out on the streets. And so Simon had been praying, you know, Lord, send us someone who can help move us on to the next step. Send us anybody that will help us in terms of reaching out. Well, it wasn't long after that. The, a phone, the phone rings, and he gets uh, the possibility of a speaker coming, not to speak on signs and wonders so much, but actually to speak about the Father's heart. So Simon accepts that, and we go for that, and run our first ever uh, Father's Heart conference. But Simon puts the phone down and says, God, that wasn't really what I asked for. To which he clearly feels the Holy Spirit say, you said to me, send me anyone. And of course, it was exactly what we needed. We learned the truth about what it means for our spirits to cry out, Abba, Father. Eleven years on, and we're still running the Father Heart Conference, and hundreds of lives have been changed through it. Not only that, but we're running the Father Heart School as well. People amongst us began to get revelation. Not information, but revelation. I remember, remember one time, um, one of our ministry team, was a lady was praying for another lady down the front, and uh, she was just laying her hand on her and just saying, the Father loves you, just remind you, the Father loves you. He loves you so much. And then she started to think, hang on, the Father Father loves you. The Father loves me. Uh, the Father loves me. The Father loves me. Forget about you for a moment. The Father loves me. And revelation came and we began to change. We learned that you cannot give away what you do not have. You know, if, if we'd have gone out onto the streets to pray for people, the emphasis would have been on what exciting miracle can we see happening? Instead of the emphasis on the person in front of us. Now I believe he's doing such a change in our hearts that we're not interested in accumulating exciting experiences. We're interested in loving the person in front of us and loving them well. Opening ourselves up to the love of the Father that he might fill us so that whatever we do is out of the overflow rather than in internal driven and striving. Our focus wants to be on spreading abroad the love of God as we have encountered him ourselves. As George Miller once said, our first responsibility is to find ourselves happy in God. And then from there we minister. 
So, of course, from that place, it's not surprising that we come across our fourth boulder, that once we got our priorities straight, then we began to see some amazing stuff happen, and God began to use us. As the Apostle Paul says, we we weren't interested in uh, words of wise wisdom to people, but rather we wanted to see demonstrations of the Spirit's power amongst us. Or as John Wimber put it, to do the stuff that we read about in the New Testament. Probably our first breakthrough uh, came when one of the ladies in the church uh, had a guy over to professionally clean her oven. And uh, she got chatting to him and discovered that he had used to be a mechanic, um, but he'd ha- suffered from repetitive strain injury in both of his wrists, and as a result, had to have operations which weren't that successful, and he now lived in constant pain. Consequently, he was forced to do this role of oven cleaning. So she plucked up all her courage and offered to pray for him. Nothing seemed to happen in the moment, but the guy went home and the next morning woke up and for the first time in years was completely pain-free. We'd never seen anything like it before and we celebrated as a church. The man came to know Jesus and started coming along to King's Arms. This had two incredible significant impacts amongst us with this oven cleaner guy getting healed. Uh, Firstly, it gave us a new, fresh desire to see the sick healed. If God had done it once, then he could certainly do it again. And secondly, it gave us a brilliant excuse to stop cleaning our ovens and get other people in to do it instead. It's just great. So people of faith that we were, we set this audacious goal. We said, right, let's set a target. Let's pray in a certain number of people encountering God in this way. And so we said, well, Let's aim over the next five years, perhaps we could trust and believe God for 30 people to see a massive improvement in their well-being as a result. 30 people encountering the power of God. Well, at the end of our first year, we had 69 people saying that they felt God had healed them. And we needed to reset our our goal and agenda for that, including amongst them uh, seven very skeptical teenagers in the town center who Simon was praying for, who kept swearing in disbelief that God had done such a thing in their bodies. And they said, and I quote, all the pain has gone. This is bleeping amazing. I can't bleeping believe it. Oh my bleep bleep. I've never bleeping seen anything bleeping like this. Bleep bleep bleepity bleep bleep. Which has now become the standard verification for healing. That's how you authenticate healing out on the streets. If they swear their heads off, something genuine is happening. (laughs) 11 years later, I look back and see just remarkable what God has done amongst us. This year and last year, for the first time, seeing people with incurable degenerative eye disorders saying that they can see again for the first time. Incredible. What are we learning? We're learning that the Father loves to bring restoration and wholeness to people inside the church and outside. The next stone that I pick up from the riverbed would be the stone of culture. Um, Some dramatic things were starting to happen, but in 2008, God changed the advertised programming And uh, we started to look through a book that Simon had read, not just at what we wanted to achieve, but how we wanted to be towards one another on the journey. To be clear about what, not just what we're doing, but the way that we're going to go about doing things. So through a period of prayer and consultation with a whole lot of people, we landed on five culture words to try and describe the kind of culture we wanted to have in this place. Honor, authenticity, acceptance, courage, And the last one has gone out of my head. Generosity, thank you very much. I was testing you all there. So now I look around our church and I think to myself, it's our culture, which means that our cleaner is honored in the way that she is. I look around our church and I think it's our culture of generosity, which means that we're buying sleeping bags and 
food for people in need. And it's our value of authenticity, which means that people are taking the decision, the courageous decision to drop the masks and let people know who they really are. You see, we realized that if we end up with a growing church but shrinking hearts, then we've failed miserably. We've missed something. That's why our culture is so important to us, that we would have a growing church, yes, but we'd be growing in our hearts of love and compassion for one another. We've learned that God is not, is not interested just in getting us to where we're going, but who we are on the journey. So that's boulder number five. Let me give you boulder number six. The last boulder is this. The last boulder for me would be the building. Now, on one level, this building is just bricks and mortar. It's just a thing. You and me, we're the church. But you see, to me, this building represents God's faithfulness to us over the years. We never in our wildest dreams imagined that we would have a place as wonderful as this. For over a decade, we've been meeting in the Dame Alice Harper School for Girls. And obviously, we're really grateful for the times that we had there and the, the encounters we had with God there. But it wasn't without its drawbacks. The King's Kids workers would have to sift through each week the moldy toys to figure out which ones they could use because the storage lockup we used leaked. Uh, we had to deal with some caretakers who really needed a download of God's joy in their lives. Um, and all the equipment, as you heard, had to be packed and unpacked every week. And for me, having to load the big keyboard in its massive silver case was the biggest challenge. I hated that thing. You'd pick it up, and as you picked it up, it was so heavy, you could feel your whole body compress as you lifted it up. I know that's true because I would get in my car to drive home and my feet wouldn't reach the pedals anymore. Uh, and then there was the time that um, we bought these fancy new signs to advertise the King's Arms. They said the King's Arms on them. But then they got taken, and word was that they'd been stolen by a local pub. Uh, we're not sure which one. <laughs> but my money is on the pub around the corner that was called the King's Arms. I'm just saying, okay? Call me Sherlock. So, so we had to soldier on through all of these different setbacks. But the dream was always to have a place of our own. The prophetic word we were holding on to was this. As you have housed the poor, so I will house you. Just before our special offering for the building that we didn't yet have or know where it would be, uh, John Strange, who carries a significant prophetic gifting, came to us and he said that he'd had a dream. And in this dream, he'd seen a check and the, the figure on the check was £146,000. So the day came and we duly took up our offering. And when we counted the cash and checks, we had in our hands £146,343. So we rebuked John for his inaccuracy. And <laughs> He said in his defense, the last three numbers were a little blurry. <laughs> and then we had this uh, one leaders weekend away uh, where we had this visiting speaker, uh, this, this guy called Phil Wilfew, who many of us had never heard about. He came down to us. He didn't know who we were. And he had no idea about our ongoing search for a building. Um, and he brought this word over us. He said to us, I see that God's got a building for you. And the room went crazy. Um, he said, it's near a new housing development. And Wixom's was just being built down the road. It's on a bus route, at the bus stop outside, and it has glass all down one side of the building. Sound like anywhere you know? So when the opportunity came up, uh, miraculously, to try and bid again for this building, we knew that God wanted us to have this old crayon factory 
on Amptill Road. So much so that as a leadership team, we even snuck up to the gates one day and uh, prayed and poured oil on the metal gates out the front, just claiming the ground. Here's what we learned through getting this building. The Father is faithful, and he pays for what he orders. So that brings us kind of up to date. We're at this far end of the spectrum now. And we're living with currently with this word about a tsunami of God's love, both here and wider afield. But in a sense, that could be used to describe what God's been doing amongst us over the past six or seven years. We've been learning that God's love is indiscriminate, that he loves everyone, everywhere around us. And he showing us that he wants to bring incredible growth to us. When we first moved in this place, it seemed cavernous, and I thought we would never, ever fill it. Just a few years later, we've developed all the internal space we can. We're creaking at the seams, and so now we're starting to look at other alternatives and what God might do. Last week alone, we had 187 children in the King's Kids, which is personally, I find a scary thought. 187 (laughs) children, that's more people than we ever used to have in the church. But it's not just the numbers of people that we want to celebrate. It's the diversity that he's brought us to. As we've grown, he's added people to us from a vast spectrum of different backgrounds and cultures, which is a beautiful thing. Recently, we had a group of people joining us, and 40% of them were from another nation. That's incredible. The stories of how people have come to be here at the King's Arms are quite remarkable. You see, what I've noticed is that not many of us intended to live here at this stage in our lives. I rarely come across people who say to me, PJ, finally, it's been a lifelong dream, but now I've got to move to Bedford. It's just, it's just a fulfillment of all my wishes. Or, or they say, might say to me, you know, right, right from an early age, I wanted to live somewhere where they had like hundreds of roundabouts, and now the dream has come true. I'm in Milton Keynes. <laughs> or I, I used to live in, Flittick, in, in it's Paris, but now I'm in the cultural center of Flittick. You know, you don't get people just saying, oh, yeah, this is the, this is the place. But actually, through one set of circumstances or another, God has brought people here. Some of us have even tried to leave. We've gone unaware of the big bit of invisible spiritual elastic that's pinged us back to being at King's Arms. There's something unusual, isn't there, about the way that God has gathered people to this place. He's doing something quite special. I thank God for... All that he's doing in other places and other churches. But what I do know is he wants to do something special here. That somehow in the wisdom of God, he's decided that you and I will be here now in this season. All this week, this verse from Acts 17 has been ringing in my ears. It says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, God has decided the time and place where you should live. That from across the sweep of eternity, from every place and every nation, God has decided that you should be here now. You are not here by accident. My plan was to come to this place for just 10 months to do a gap year. I I didn't actually know where Bedford was. I didn't care where Bedford was. I was only going to be here for 10 months after all. I expected by now to be living in rural Hampshire and commuting in to a lawyer's job. But what I didn't realize is that the Holy Spirit was marshalling his troops in a church called King's Arms and somewhere called Bedford. 
because he wanted to pour out his power and his love amongst us. Can you feel the Holy Spirit in the room? I care. In a moment, I'm going to ask some of you to stand up. And I'm going to ask you to stand if never in your wildest dreams you imagined you could be here now at this time. That this wasn't plan A, but somehow God has got you here. Either you were born here and planned to move away, but like Jim Carrey in The Truman Show, you just cannot escape. Or, more likely through a set of unexpected circumstances, you ended up in this place. If you're in either of those two categories, would you stand with me? Wow. Just, just do a 360, look around. I would say this is the majority of the room. If I just could pray for you, and then Phil's going to come and share something. About Maybe you just want to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, come. Just allow him to come to you. The Father wants to say to you this morning, this is about destiny. We've looked back that we might have faith for the future. That he has decided that you would live here now in this time. You are not here by accident. You are here because he has purposes. And he's not finished with you. Some of you, the, the circumstances have come to rail against his destiny for your life, but you're to resist them. There are setbacks and obstacles and difficulties. But he's saying, I've got you here for a reason. I'm not done with you yet. Uh, and my plans for you are far more glorious than you can imagine. Just like this building is far better and superior to anything we could imagine, the Father's saying, the Father's saying, he has got destiny for you to inherit this morning. Just allow him to keep speaking to you. Phil, do you want to come and share? Let me just hold out your hands to the Lord. This feels like there's a, a commissioning moment now because the reason that we look back is because God also wants us to look forward. <laughs> we remember what God's done because it's a prophetic declaration of what He wants to do again. And so uh, I just want us to hear the word of the Lord to us as His people. Just open your heart. Just wherever you are around this room, why don't you stand with me and let's take a moment to respond as a church family together. Let's everyone stand across this room. And let's just receive from the Father His commissioning to us as His people. I feel like there's, there's probably many more things than this, but I felt God draw my attention to three things in Isaiah 54. And the first is God is commissioning us to keep being a house of worship keep being a house of worship. Isaiah 54 says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. And in this passage, the barren woman represents a place, a, a, a person that shouldn't be fruitful, but is. And Bedford in some ways shouldn't be fruitful, but it is in the hand of God. <laughs> and the Father says, sing, shout for joy, shout for joy. As you began your journey in worship, says the Father, so continue your journey in worship. Sing, make much of Jesus in your future. For I tell you, says the Father, as you place Him at the center, as you place Jesus at the heart, I will keep lifting you up, says the Lord. I will keep lifting you up. This is to be a house, a center of joy-filled worship. 
says the Father. So keep singing and making much of Jesus. I tell you, says the Lord, that grace is going to become even more amazing to you in the days to come. The grace is going to become even more amazing to you. So keep singing your songs of joy in the storms, in the celebrations, in the trials, in the time of plenty. Sing, sing, sing. Make much of Jesus. But God would also commission us to keep building well. Isaiah 54 2 says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back, but lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. The Father would say to us, This is a season not just to strengthen or lengthen. It's a time to strengthen and lengthen, says the Lord. It's a time to make strong what already exists, but as a time to keep pioneering and go further and take new territory, says the Lord. It's a time to both love the person in front of you, but also to believe God for the many. It's, a to, it's to love extravagantly the neighbor next door, but to believe God for thousands and thousands and thousands of new people to come into contact with Jesus. It's the both and, says the Lord. I want you to build deeply, but I also want you to stretch wide. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, says the Father. This is an era of strong things becoming stronger, but things going further than they've ever gone before, says the Lord. And then thirdly, there's a commission, and it's the global commission. Isaiah 54 says, You will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. I'm taking you, says the Father, in this new era, from being a local church for the region to being a regional church for the world. And I want you to begin thinking of yourselves like that, says the Father. This is the era of globalization, where you think local, where you think global, but you keep acting local. For I tell you, says the Father, out of this church is going to come impact in every single continent across the world. I want you to believe that that is your inheritance. You have an inheritance in every continent on this planet. And something from King's arms will be sown in every continent across this world. What he's done here will become a sign and a wonder to the very ends of the earth, says the Father. You're to think of yourself as a regional church for the sake of the world. And your ear, your, the ear that I'm opening up, says the Father, is one where you will dispossess the cities. You will spread out to the right and the left, says the Father. So just receive His commissioning right now. I commission you in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for all that's gone before. But God, we celebrate all that's to come in Jesus' name. Just where you stand, just receive right now the commissioning of God. I'm going to ask Simon to come and pray for us right now. Thank you, Father. Just put a hand on the shoulder of someone here. Let's just pray as a family together. We feel happy to do that. God, we just pray right now for us to take hold of the words which you've given us. We pray for regional impacts in all the towns around. We pray, God, give us groups in Flittick and Amptil. Give us groups that reach the Italians. Give us groups that reach the Russian speakers in our area. Give us groups that reach those from every nationality, from Nigeria and other countries that have moved 
year. We say, God, give us impact, Lord, in this region, but also give us impact in the nations of the world. Thank you for what you're already doing. We pray, Lord, let us establish churches that have the same heartbeat all over the world, God. Let us establish churches both locally but also internationally. And God, let us reach into our community in an unprecedented way to see those who are hungry. Father, we recognize even in this room there are people here who had no thought of you, no care for you even a year ago. And we say, God, do that again and again. We pray, reach those who are lost, who don't even know that they're lost, who who don't know that they need God. We say, reach them through our hands and through our voices. It's not our work, God. It's your work. But we get to partner with you. And we thank you for this great privilege. We pray, God, heal us up and send us out. Heal us up and send us up. We say thank you, Father, for this great privilege to give our lives for something. And I pray even this morning for those who are just drifting through life, who feel they've got no purpose. I just commission you now to grab hold of the purpose, to to love God and to serve Him, to give your life to His agenda. I commission you now to find purpose for life. I say, Lord, release people from this place who've got a purpose, who know why they're born, who know what they bring to the planet, who know how they can change the world, who are disciples who naturally multiply, who naturally share the love of Christ because they know that they have been loved by Christ. Do it, Lord, I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you, Father.